Welcome, my fellow sci-fi and fantasy nerds. Welcome to another episode of The Detailian Geekdom. I'm your host, Jason, of The Detailian Mind. So, I think it's very obvious, uh, the last few years, there's been a really huge uptick in nostalgia for the 80s and the 90s when it comes to sci-fi and fantasy uh, material. Uh, the biggest hit that's been coming out as of late is Dune, sparking a whole new rebirth of the franchise. About 10 years ago or so, we saw a uh, reboot, or a soft reboot, I should say, um, because it was kind of a continuation, but uh, we saw the rebirth of Tron, which I thought was really good, uh, seeing that uh, kind of with more updated uh, graphics and everything. Um, but you know what, this, this whole uh, nostalgia thing has really brought back a whole bunch of genres that, uh, you know, we thought were kind of a thing of the past. So, I thought that I would spend, uh, this morning talking about some of the, of the 80s and 90s nostalgia themes that I would like to see brought back. Um, as of right now, there are a couple of them that, uh, they're working on, uh, Rebooting, whether it's a soft or a, a full reboot. Uh, the, one of the big ones that has been in the works is uh, Spawn. And the rumor mill, and it's a very credible one, is that Jamie Foxx will be reprising the role of Spawn. So I'm really looking forward to that one. And there's also been quite a bit of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that have been revisited throughout the decades. They even uh, were doing some Mortal Kombat uh, remakes. Uh, a couple years ago they did a, a Mortal Kombat uh, movie. So I'm not sure how far that's going to go, but uh, it had some promise. They also brought back Ghostbusters. Whether the reboot uh, with an all-female cast or the... Uh, the grandchildren, or or I think it was the grandchildren of the uh, original characters, plus the cameos of uh, the original three, the three that are left over since uh, the actor who played Egon has died, unfortunately. So there has been quite a bit of nostalgia that's been going on lately in entertainment. Now, unfortunately, the 80s has also... That, that whole nostalgia for the 80s has also bled over into other facets of uh, American life and American culture and society. Uh, the main one being politics, but I'm not going to get into that because this is the Detailian the geekdom after all. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would like to sit down and just kind of go through and talk about some of the uh, genres or franchises that I like to see rebooted that date back to the 80s and 90s. So... And then afterwards, uh, I kind of figured that uh, I'd kind of run through my own nostalgia of one of my favorite genres or, or franchises and really discuss some aspects of that. So, since we're on the topic of nostalgia and, and bringing shows back from the 80s and the 90s, whether in TV show format or movie format, I cannot help but really look forward to the day when there is a Gargoyles reboot. 
I think that uh, the animated cartoon was really awesome in the 90s. And I would really love to see them bring back the animated series for uh, another cartoon. They kind of did that with uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe uh, here recently. They, I guess, kind of finished off the season, or the, the series, if you will. There have been a couple other uh, soft reboots here and there that they tried to bring out uh, in decades past in the 2000s and 2010s just to kind of finish it off, I guess. But the uh, um, last couple of years here, they have really gone forward to uh, bring back He-Man and kind of bring that whole series to the uh, to the end that they were actually looking for. So that was kind of cool to see. I wasn't a big He-Man fan growing up, but uh, it was kind of cool to see that they brought it back to just, just to kind of help uh, finish it off. But I'm kind of hoping they do the same thing with Gargoyles, although I would prefer it to be a, a reboot, actually. Um, and... Maybe it's something that could uh, get enough uh, momentum going where they can make like a live action uh, TV series or even a movie or a movie trilogy. I think that'd be pretty sweet too, you know, especially given some of the technology that we have now. I mean, you look at uh, Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, uh, they've got some, or even Lord of the Rings and the the Rings of Power uh, um, TV series. We've got the technology. We could really do a good job with uh, making Gargoyles a live-action TV series or movie. I think that'd be really awesome. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Gargoyles come back as so many other shows have been coming back uh, lately as well. So that's probably the biggest one that I want to see, in all honesty. Though I don't have these in in a particular order of events or of, of uh, favoritism, uh, I just kind of jotted them down. But uh, I do think that Gargoyles would have to be my favorite of the five to come back and do an animated or a live action series or even a movie sequence. I think that'd be the the best. Um, so here's hoping. If you're hearing me, Hollywood, if you're hearing me, Apple TV, let's do this. Uh, The second one on my list is Sliders. Uh, This was a live-action show that really was ahead of its time, I think, especially given now where you've got uh, DC and you've got Marvel and even to some extent uh, Star, uh, Star Wars, at least in the expanded universe, has gone and done all these different uh, parallel universes and uh, jumping around. You saw it with the Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. It was basically a movie about parallel universes and bringing the Spider-Men and villains from all these other universes into one universe to kind of do one big battle royale. And uh, that's what Sliders is. I mean, minus all the fighting and all that, but it's just... You know, bouncing back and forth from parallel universe to parallel universe, seeing how some things are slightly different, yet some things are drastically different. Um, It's got Jerry O'Connell in it. He is uh, now doing voice acting for one of the Star Trek uh, characters in Lower Decks. He's also in another, uh, I think like a, a crime type show, you know, like NCIS or one of those type of shows. Um... 
I think that'd be a really great show to bring back. I think uh, it would be uh, pretty awesome too if we got like Nathan Fillion to do one of the uh, the characters. He can even reprise the uh, the role of uh, Q or Quinn uh, if they decide to do a uh, a reboot of it, or if they want to just get a whole new set of uh, characters and a whole new uh, plot to it. That would be great, but. Uh, you know, Sliders, I think, was a really, it was really ahead of its of its time, you know, and I think that it would do really good in today's market when it can, when it comes to new uh, technology that's out there for uh, um, creating these TV shows. It, there's a lot more effort, I think, being put into TV shows now. I mean, just look at all these streaming platforms, Apple TV, you know, Netflix, all these streaming platforms now are providing a really good base of competition for the traditional legacy uh, TV stations to compete with. And uh, I think would be, now would be a great time for sliders to, to get back into the swing of things and become uh, relevant again and really start getting people thinking about, uh, um, you know, what what the possibilities are out there. I mean, have a show just dedicated to parallel universes and seeing what happens. Uh, and for those of you who don't know how the storyline of Sliders went, uh, down the road, I think in like season two or three, once they kind of got done with the whole, let's just kind of explore the different parallel universes, they introduced one big bad, uh, one big baddie. And that was the Cro-Magnon, which were basically just like, uh, more Cro-Magnonite, uh, Neanderthalite, uh, versions of humans um, based off of the evolutionary process that humanity uh, experienced going down here uh, uh, here in, in, in the real world you know and we are finding out through uh, archaeology and scientific uh, exploration that uh, humans homo sapiens coincided with uh Neanderthals and some of the other variations of humans before they died off or just kind of genetically merged into humanity. So that's kind of where the sliders went is instead of Homo sapiens becoming the dominant uh, humanoid species that uh, basically ruled the world, it became the Cro-Magnon. And it was really interesting, to be honest. You know, I, I thought it was pretty cool, you know, and I think they could do a, a hell of a lot more with it now that we have the technology that we have today to really bring this uh, story to proper light. Um, so I'm really hoping that uh, the powers that be bring back sliders, preferably live action. But you know, if it's not a live action, if it's a uh, animated series, then I'd be cool with that as well. But uh, definitely, definitely, definitely live action series because. Uh, I think the whole concept of uh, parallel universes is, is really sweet. Um, so here's hoping, right? Um, third up on the list, and this is one of the TV shows, the live-action TV shows that I grew up watching and I really enjoyed, and it's also the uh, first crush that I had as a kid growing up. Um, and this was for the actress Lucy Lawless, and um, of course I'm going towards uh, Xena Warrior Princess. I think it's going to be a great idea, a great time, given all the shows that are coming out, you know, Lord of the Rings and uh, 
Game of Thrones, all these medieval based ones. It's time that we go and we do a reboot or a continuation of uh, Xena Warrior Princess. Especially live action, you know. Um, bring Lucy Lawless back if it's going to be just a continuation. Maybe it's going to be like her, her daughter or, or granddaughter, that type of thing. Um, I think it'd be awesome to have it going again because that show really kicked ass. And uh, I think it's time to bring back uh, Xena Warrior Princess into a live action TV series and uh, kind of go from there. The next one isn't really one of my favorites. I remember watching the movies. I thought they were pretty sweet. The concept was awesome. Uh, one of my friends from middle school and high school, he really got into it. But uh, I'm going to go with uh, Highlander. Once again, it's uh, very similar to Xena, Warrior Princess, Hercules, which I didn't put in the list, but that could probably tie into Xena, Warrior Princess. Maybe it could be a Xena and Hercules you know, a combo show type type of thing, but uh, Highlander would also be a pretty good fit in the nostalgia, let's bring it back from the 80s and 90s type of thing, because I think Highlander was a really awesome concept, and uh, I think it's definitely time to see that reimagined along with everything else that's coming back from the 80s and the 90s. And then lastly, I'm sure I'll get a lot of chuckles from this because it seems to be the ugly duckling of the sci-fi world. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the last one on the list, Babylon 5. Uh, Babylon 5 I thought was just awesome. Uh, Not very many people liked it, but I thought it was awesome. Unfortunately, it did not end very well. It kind of was left on a cliffhanger. So, in this regard, they might have to not do any kind of a reboot of it, but just do a continuation, or they could focus on one of the earlier uh, epochs of time within that timeline. They could focus on the first Shadow War when Babylon 4, the space station, was brought back in time. A couple thousand years, I believe. I think it was a thousand years. Focus on that war as the as the series, you know, so that it kind of tied in with uh, the proper Babylon 5 series. Or they could do another uh, sequel series that takes place afterwards. That's kind of what they were doing when they got into like the last season of Babylon 5. I think they renamed it uh, something else. I can't remember what it was, but uh, they kind of shifted it or changed the name a little bit of the show based off of what happened, you know, and... and uh, I always thought that it was a great idea. Babylon 5, a space station that would act like the, the galactic UN. All the different races around, or the species from around the galaxy, from the main players to what they call the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, which are some of the minor species that uh, were in the galaxy. Use it as one massive UN neutral ground to discuss things diplomatically and try to work their shit out. And of course, it doesn't always go as planned. And in reality, it actually became a pretty big uh, base during a big war with uh, the Shadows. So I think that bringing that back, at the very least as an animated show, would be a really great way to uh, bring back some 90s era sci-fi nostalgia. So as I promised, I promised that I would come up with 
a couple lists of my own personal nostalgia and, and what really got me into sci-fi, especially in the, the 90s. But it actually started in the 80s. Growing up as a kid, I can remember every Saturday sitting down and watching Star Wars. At the time, it was just Return of the Jedi, and I would watch that over and over and over. I think I'd probably watch it three times every single weekend on a Saturday. Uh, My Saturdays normally consisted of either watching... Mystery Science Theater 3000, which is another thing that's been rebooted here recently from the 90s, and even from the 80s, I would say, 89, 88, that era. Um, But if I wasn't watching Mystery Science Theater 3000, which was like a three-hour-long endeavor every Saturday, if I wasn't watching that, I was watching Return of the Jedi, and I would probably watch that about at least two or three times. And it definitely became my favorite movie of the Star Wars trilogy, as well as it became my favorite sci-fi genre or franchise. And I think it even topped out uh, fantasy, too. Uh, In the mid-90s, I was left to debate whether I wanted to have sci-fi or fantasy be my favorite uh, genre. I went with sci-fi. And the battle that ended in that was uh, Star Wars versus Warcraft. Now, at the time, Blizzard had only come out with Warcraft 1, Orcs and Humans, the the, uh, CD-ROM video game. And then shortly thereafter, it was Warcraft 2, Tides of Darkness, once again a CD-ROM video game with its expansion pack, uh, Beyond the Dark Portal. And... Those were my two big interests. And I went with Star Wars and haven't looked back since, despite the fact that uh, World of Warcraft has been making huge headgrounds in that whole battle between what's my favorite uh, sci-fi or fantasy genre. My favorite geek genre, if you will. Uh, But backstory aside... One of the things that really drew me to Star Wars was the whole Jedi and Sith light and the lightsabers, that whole uh, idea. I thought that was really awesome. I thought the Force was a really great idea. Uh, props off to George Lucas for you know coming up with that. Uh, I, I've seen some of the comics that they actually can't went back and redid that was based off of the original idea for George Lucas's The Star Wars where it's Anakin Starkiller and uh, Darth Vader. They were two separate people, you know. Um, I think I have a digital copy of it somewhere, but it was really awesome. I, I thought it looked pretty sweet. I'm glad that they actually went back and basically, you know, released it based off of his original ideas. And it was awesome to see, you know, because lightsabers at that time were just... A random tool like a blaster. Anyone, like any trooper could use it. Any person could use it. But then they changed it up because they thought it's such a unique idea that it should only be used by unique characters. So let's let's just say I I've, I thought that both renditions were a pretty sweet thing to do. Um, but that kind of segues me into my tidbit of nostalgia when it comes to Star Wars, and that is my favorite lightsaber duels. If you're a 
a Star Wars fan or if you're a sci-fi fan in general or a fantasy fan in general or even just somebody who enjoys movies or TV shows, it's kind of hard to uh, not have a favorite lightsaber duel. It's kind of hard not to like them at all because, I mean, they're very entertaining, tells a good story, and uh, it's what got me into Star Wars. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, this whole thing with nostalgia, is because of the whole uh, Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series that uh, finished up its first season here uh, earlier this summer, maybe spring. Uh, And I'm planning on doing a whole critique of that later on, but uh, for now, here are my five favorite Star Wars lightsaber duels, and this takes place in the Expanded Universe the Legends uh, continuity, not the the recent uh, Disney canon. Although one of them is from that one because, you know, there's always an exception to the rule. But uh, my top, my favorite lightsaber duel out of all these, because these are ranked, is the Kenobi versus Darth Vader duel in episode six of the Kenobi series. I thought that it was... Uh, very well done, you know, the writing, just the, uh, the imagery that they had in it, I think that that lightsaber duel was just sheer amazing, you know, I, I've watched it, I don't know how many times so far, and every single time I watch that lightsaber duel, it's just, you know, I, I'm still awed by it, I think it's just one of the best things to ever watch, um, Second up on the list, it would be uh, Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader from the uh, Return of the Jedi movie. Once again, this goes back to the whole backstory that I had, where I sat there and I watched that movie two, three times every single Saturday, every single weekend, basically. Uh, couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was a really great duel. Um, not for its, its, you know awesome aerobatics of the uh, the actors doing like flips or whatever but just the story behind it the uh, the tension you know the the emotion that is going on in the background once again same thing with the uh, Kenobi versus Vader fight from the TV series recently this the, earlier this year you know it's not necessarily about all the aerobatics and the uh, the jaw-dropping uh, fight itself, but it's a lot of it's just the, the tension, the emotion in the background that's really driving the, uh, the scene, the, the fight. Uh, plus, it's one of the earliest lightsaber duels that I can remember watching. Because like I said, I only watched Return of the Jedi. That was the first movie I, I remember watching growing up as a kid was episode six, the the third movie in the original trilogy. I didn't watch the, first, the, the fourth or the fifth one until later on, once I finally got the uh, the VHS uh, tapes of them, which I think I still have somewhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was my first experience with Star Wars and the lightsaber duels. So it's kind of fitting to have my first and my most recent Experience with lightsaber duels being my number one and my number two. Uh, number three on the list comes from when I was in college, so kind of the midway point, and this is the lightsaber duel from 
Revenge of the Sith. And uh, once again, this is uh, between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi on the planet Mustafar when they're in that the, the lava scene fighting and just, you know, battle ro- royaling it uh, until one of them is presumed dead. And uh, I think the reason why this one hits number three on the list is because all throughout growing up in the 80s and 90s, primarily in the 90s, there was always this one big, bold question mark before the prequel trilogy came out. Now, granted, they had the uh, expanded universe, now called Legends, as the uh, official timeline for Star Wars back then, but they were never allowed to go into the Clone Wars era. That was left completely untouched so that George Lucas, if he so chose, could go back in there and uh, tell that story later on. But that left a huge question mark in everybody's mind is, how did that battle go? Because we all knew from the uh, implications in the original trilogy as well as in the expanded universe that in episode three, or sometime in that Clone Wars era, Kenobi and Anakin meet up and they do battle and Vader gets his ass beat and that's why he's in the uh, his uh, armor so everyone was always trying to imagine what kind of a battle that would be so it was really awesome to see that battle take place you know because I I was one of those people I was always imagining what would that battle be like growing up as a kid you know elementary middle school a little bit into high school I was always thinking how did that battle go and then I got to see it shortly thereafter when I was in college because that's when episode three came out was when I was in college and I was just I was thrilled you know it was awesome um despite my uh mostly negative critiques of the prequel trilogy I thought that uh the lightsaber battles were the best, you know. There was the uh, Kenobi and, and Qui-Gon Jinn battle against Darth Maul, which is, perfect segue, the fourth one on the list. In the episode one, The Phantom Menace movie, I thought that was a really great battle. I thought Darth Maul was a really great uh, character, you know. And that battle was brutal, you know. It led to one of the Jedi being killed. Um, and the other one presumed dead, which at the time he was dead, but he was later brought back, uh, mixed feelings on that, but you know, we'll save that for another time. But, uh, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that battle. Not as much as the uh, revenge of the Sith battle, but I do enjoy it, um, as well. I thought it was a really good battle. It was great way to just kind of reintroduce people in general to Star Wars because keep in mind the Phantom Menace came out I want to say uh, 99 or 2000 or maybe 98 it was it was a while ago is when I was still either in middle school or just starting high school so it was it was quite some time ago and uh, it was nice to see it kind of brought back after nearly going it, it into Oblivion and becoming just nothing but a cult classic from the 80s and 70s and 80s. 
So it was nice to see the whole uh, thing brought back and revitalized, uh, which would the pro- that process was already started with the expanded universe novels and video games and comic books, but uh, it was nice to see it back on the big screen. Uh, then the last one on the list, and these are just for TVs and movies I should mention. It's not all of the expanded universe or legends, but just in the TV and, and movies genre. Uh, and this is from The Mandalorian. This is the, uh, the scene at the end of season two where you see Luke Skywalker just going to town on the dark troopers aboard the Imperial vessel as he comes to save um, the Mandalorian and some of the other Mandalorians that he's got with him. I thought that was a really awesome uh, um, CGI battle that they, uh, they brought in. So... Those are my five favorite uh, lightsaber duels from the TV series and the movies. I'm sure I could find a a bunch of other ones. I know there's a Clone Wars uh, um, episode where, as I mentioned earlier, Darth Maul is brought back and he goes and he fights Obi-Wan Kenobi and there's a pretty uh, uh, touching scene in the end where... Obi-Wan finally puts the final nail in the coffin that is uh, Darth Maul's life. And there's a touching scene where he actually holds him, kind of like he holds Qui-Gon Jinn while he's dying, you know. And there's a little bit of an exchange, you know, and there's kind of like a respect between warriors, even though they're on differing sides. There's still that that respect that's at the end, and it was kind of touching to see that even though they were on completely different ends of the... uh, spectrum there when it came to the force they still had enough respect for each other that they were able to uh at least meet in the end and uh you know (laughs) have a a proper goodbye i guess so that was kind of neat to see but uh anyway uh going over to the expanded universe because that's where my true love of star wars was was in the the expanded universe the, the the books or the novels the comic books, the video games, those were where I was really interested in Star Wars. The movies were great, don't get me wrong, but those, the the books were, and the, the comic books and the video games, where you could really, really expand on plots, character development, and all that stuff, and that's what I really enjoyed. So, to kind of finish off this episode... I'm just going to go through some of my favorite uh, duels from the Expanded Universe. Uh, honorable mention. I really wanted this to uh, get into the um, the top five, but it just it got basically got number six. Just barely made it in there. And this is Darth Vader versus Darth Maul, um, and it's very it's a very emotional. Um, um, battle for a couple reasons. Uh, for starters, from Darth Vader's point of view, when you read some of the material about Darth Vader, especially around the uh, Clone Wars era between episode one and two, as he's growing up, you learn that the experiences that Anakin has in episode one where uh, Darth Maul comes after him, He's kind of traumatized from it. He develops a fear of Darth Maul. And that fear 
carries on into his time as Darth Vader. And what happens is, is his master, Darth Sidious, a.k.a. Emperor Palpatine, he's aware of this. He knows that Darth Vader has this fear of um, Darth Maul, a trauma from growing up as a kid. And some of his other force-using acolytes from the the Dark Force uh, force organization, their whole thing is that Darth Vader isn't a true Sith. You know, they 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 come to believe that he's just like some sort of like uh, um, mutt, if you will. He's not a true Sith because he was a Jedi and he was therefore tainted by Jedi teachings first, and not a true Sith because he didn't grow up in it. He wasn't the uh, he wasn't an original Sith, if you will. He, he didn't start his training as a Sith and not be perverted by the Jedi ways, and so. Palpatine talks to them like, well, if you want to, if you want to test my apprentice to see that he is an actual Sith, go right ahead. So what this Dark Force group does is they go and they have some DNA left over from Darth Maul and they clone him, you know, because Clone War era makes sense that you know they can go and clone him because they got his DNA and uh, they clone him and they they kind of quote-unquote bring him back to life and they and they basically make him believe that he is the Darth Maul the original one and so they sick uh, the clone of Darth Maul on Darth Vader and the two do battle in the comic books and it's a very brutal battle I mean they're, they're just going one for one on each other and finally Darth Vader realizes that there's, it's going to be a stalemate neither one is going to win and he needs to conjure up the the hatred and the fear and to really harness his emotions to beat Darth Maul. So they're fighting and they're fighting. And what he does is he tricks Darth Maul into thinking that he's been flanked so that Darth Maul comes up behind him getting ready to do the uh, finishing blow from from behind and what Darth Vader does is he takes his lightsaber and he impales himself through his armor avoiding the life support system so he doesn't die Um, but he impales himself with his own lightsaber and also impales Darth Maul killing you know fatally wounding him and while Darth Maul is sitting there dying he's like what could you you know, who could you hate so much to destroy me? And knowing about his loss and the pain that he feels from losing his wife, Darth Vader says, myself. I hate myself so much, I'm, I'm, able, to, I'm able to harness that hatred to destroy you. Very, I think, very powerful uh, statement there. And you kind of see that in the uh, Vader versus uh, Kenobi duel in uh, in the Kenobi TV series. I think they kind of bring a lot of that raw emotion into it. And I think that was a really profound, you know, uh, moment in that comic uh, series for me. You know, I was like, wow, that's, that's, that, <laughs> that means a lot if you're willing to impale yourself with your own lightsaber, running the risk of frying out your life support and dying yourself. 
in, or, in order to kill the thing that you fear the most, which is Darth Maul. And uh, it was just beautifully done, I would have to say. Uh, so that's the honorable mention. Uh, beyond that, getting into the top five. I'll start from number five and work my way to the number one. So number five would be Luke and his sister Leia versus the Dark Jedi Killer. And this is from the novel of The New Rebellion. And basically, he is a uh, domestic terrorist, I guess, if you will, um, that is going around causing a whole bunch of chaos in the New Republic, uh, committing terrorist attacks. Uh, he committed a terrorist attack on, on the New Republic Senate. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, Luke go, finds out where he's at. It's on some remote planet. And he finds out that he basically started off as, you know, a lower class kid who saw his parents uh, murdered for being political, political dissidents by their oppressive regime. And basically this dark Jedi goes and he wipes out everybody on the planet. Except for his loyal, uh, those loyal to him. And... Uh, Luke goes and, and he, he faces off against him and this killer guy he just pumps himself up you know with the force almost like uh, Bane from the Batman uh, movie from Dark Knight series he, he's all, all, almost like that where he's like pumping himself up with the force making himself strong and he just beats the living snot out of Luke Skywalker um, just like overpowers him with just raw uh, strength augmented by the force and I, I can't remember I think he has like a broken leg or something like that uh, Luke does or something he's got some sort of physical uh, uh, detriment that really holds him back but at the same token he just gets his, his uh, he just gets his ass beat, beat in but the reason why I like it is because the, the, this uh, this duel is because it's it's a it's a one of those bronze versus brains type of a situation because Luke is so busy trying to beat Keller with with uh, muscle for muscle and he knows that he can't and I, can, I think he kind of realizes it a little too late but in the end it's Leia who comes to his rescue and beats Keller and how she does it is brains while Luke is trying to match Braun for Braun and gets his ass kicked, Leia comes in there with brains and beats him. And she engages him with a little bit and gets him to kind of follow her gets and kind of leads him into a trap. And what happens is, is they place these uh, Yosemari all around the area. And what these creatures are known for is the ability to block the force so that the user can't draw on the force to do it out to do their powers to do their abilities and because of killer being from a, a remote part of the galaxy he was not aware of those uh those creatures that could block the force so he just follows her in there and then loses the ability to use the force and han solo is there behind his wife and just shoots him with a blaster and kills him you know and they all come to find out when they uh, take the mask off his face because he's got like a skull mask on um, I'm going to take the mask off uh, 
Luke and Leia recognized him as one of the uh, the students that was at uh, Luke's academy. Come to find out, he was training at Luke's academy and just kind of washed out. But he washed out not because he was horrible at using the Force, but because he found out his parents were uh, killed, murdered for being political dissidents. And so he went back to his home world, found his uh, parents, his body, you know, just kind of dangling from the uh, the uh, government square, if you will, and, and that's kind of what set him off. Um, and so that was, I thought, I don't know why I thought it was interesting, but I just, it's one of those battles that always stuck with me because, I mean, it's like urban warfare. They're just, you know, tearing each other apart, kind of what you see in some of the uh, Marvel movies now, you know, and that's what it was. It was just, you know, it was a Marvel movie for the Avengers only in Star Wars universe and two Jedi just wrecking this town with, you know, some people in it, but predominantly is is abandoned because Keller had uh, wiped out most of the population. Uh, so I thought that was a really awesome uh, battle because it showed that sometimes it's not about having the bronze, but having the brains. It's a lesson I think Yoda was trying to teach Luke back in episode five, which you know, Luke was kind of hard-headed, and it was just kind of funny to see that uh, all these years later, it, it was still one of those lessons that Luke needed to learn. It wasn't always about bronze, but brains as well. Number four on the list comes from the Dark Empire comics. This is the second comic book arc that I read in the 90s growing up as a kid. And it was Luke Skywalker and Leia against the clone of Emperor Palpatine. Kind of the backstory is you find out that uh, Emperor Palpatine is still alive. He was able to sever his consciousness from his uh, original body, or what we assume to be his original body, and as a Force ghost, kind of hopped his way back towards his secret uh, dark side citadel world and re- reanimate a uh, clone body of his that he kind of left in stasis. And he takes back over the Empire, and this is like six years after Return of the Jedi. Meanwhile, Luke Skywalker is trying to go on like a little uh, personal mission to figure out why his father turned to the dark side. And in the course of doing so, he finds his father's uh, um, personal fortress on Biss, goes there, and he falls to the dark side himself, meets up with Emperor Palpatine, and Luke Skywalker actually becomes the apprentice of Emperor Palpatine. Uh, in the uh, the sequel trilogy that we saw just recently, in the, the last episode, episode 9, when they go to that... Uh, when uh, Kylo Ren and uh, Rey go to that, that uh, really dark, foreboding planet... Uh, I can't remember what it was called. That scene in there was kind of like from Dark Empire. In fact, that 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 whole sequence of events there on that planet, uh, uh, the name of it's uh, Exegol. There we go. All of the content they see surrounding Exegol, even down to the uh, like the uh, um, the the super weapon that uh, the resurrected Palpatine had. That all stems from Dark Empire. It's just a really cheap 
watered-down version of it, but that's basically what Dark Empire was. The only difference was is Luke Skywalker as his apprentice, not his uh, nephew. I thought it was really awesome, you know, Dark Empire. Excuse me. But uh, you basically find out that Luke Skywalker has turned to the dark side. He becomes Palpatine's apprentice, and it's basically Return of the Jedi all over again, only this time it's what would have happened if Luke had actually taken his father's place at Palpatine's side. So you got to actually see how that would have gone. The cool thing is, is they actually came out with uh, action figures for it, so I do have the Dark the dark Jedi Luke, and I do have the uh, resurrected uh, Emperor Palpatine action figures. They're pretty sweet. Um, but, uh, I thought it was pretty sweet that they uh, turned those into action figures, and I, it was one of my favorite uh, uh, engagements because Leia ends up going and confronting her brother. And just like in Return of the Jedi, Leia is working on Luke, trying to get him to come back to the to the light side, and she succeeds. And the two turn, and then they go after uh, Emperor Palpatine together. And they are successful, and they kill that version, that clone body of uh, Emperor Palpatine. He does come back one more time, but that's in Dark Empire 2, and it's just like, eh, whatever. You're kind of beating a dead horse at this point with that concept, but the original Dark Empire uh, series arc was, I thought, pretty awesome, especially for that battle where it was Leia versus Luke, and then they kind of team up with that that twin bond, and they go after uh, Emperor Palpatine from there. Third on the list goes back to the very first book trilogy I ever read as a kid back in the 90s. The Thrawn Trilogy, written by Timothy Zahn, and it's the first uh, book trilogy to come out in the Expanded Universe, and that's really what kind of set off the uh, the whole momentum of Star Wars kind of coming back out of oblivion to become a, a big thing again. And in the last book, The Last Command by Timothy Zahn, you see a big battle. It's Luke and Mary Jade, who you find out is the Emperor's like secret assassin in the uh, mo- during the time of the movies. And her whole thing is to get revenge for Luke Skywalker killing Emperor Palpatine. And she does. She kills Luke Skywalker. But it's not Luke Skywalker from the movies. It's Luke Skywalker, a clone. Because Luke and Mara team up to go up against a dark Jedi known as Jerus Kabeth, who was a Jedi during the Clone Wars, who, or just prior to the Clone Wars, who knew Obi-Wan Kenobi, he knew Anakin Skywalker. He turns out to be a clone himself, and he went and he cloned Luke Skywalker. Remember that hand that Luke lost in Empire Strikes Back? Well, apparently the clone of Jerus Kabeth who, goes, who went insane, thinking that he was the original, original Jerusalem. He goes and he finds that hand, that severed hand, still clutching the original Darth Vader uh, or Anakin Skywalker lightsaber, and uh, um, clones him and starts training him to be the his dark apprentice. And so you have Luke versus his own uh, um, clone in The Last Command. And they're fighting, 
and Mara Jade comes in. Once again, like I said, the Emperor's basically he's she's called the Emperor's Hand, which is basically his own personal assassin. And throughout the whole series, the the, the, the whole trilogy, she hears that his voice, the Emperor Palpatine's voice, as he falls down the shaft. He's reaching down the force to kill Luke Skywalker, avenge me, that type of thing. And so the whole time, throughout the whole trilogy, she's like, you know, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who'd go and kill Emperor Palpatine in vengeance. He seems like a pretty nice guy, and there's this whole internal conflict that she has. Well, she eventually just goes and she uh, attacks the uh, Luke Skywalker clone using Luke's green lightsaber, and they do battle, and she ends up killing Luke Skywalker, the, the clone, and her whole thing is, by this time, she's like, realized, you know, I'm not going to kill Luke because he's a really cool guy, he holds no ill will towards me, even though he knows I was the secret assassin for the Emperor Palpatine when he was still alive, um... He's kind of forgiven me for any kind of past I have. He's accepted me for who I am. I can't kill this guy. Plus, she also finds out, too, that it wasn't Luke that killed uh, Palpatine. It was Darth Vader. So there's that, too. But uh, it was kind of, I don't know, just... I saw the battle in my head between those four. And especially at the end when... uh, Mara Jade kills Luke's clone. She goes, there, I killed him. Are you happy? That Kind of summarizing her internal uh, dialogue to this memory of Palpatine. There, I killed him. Are you happy? And then the, the voice in her head, that, that echo from the forest just stops. Cold turkey, you know. And the two get up and they go after Drew's Kabeth. And the same thing, I think they kill him with that Yilsamari uh, uh, creature. They use it against him because that's what Drew Skabeth was using as well. Uh, if I remember correctly. Or it's Thrawn that was using the uh, the creature to prevent uh, Drew Skabeth from uh, getting a little too, uh, you know, assertive with his role within uh, Thrawn's empire. But uh, in the end, Luke and Mara team up Jedi Master and former assassin for Palpatine, and they kill this dark Jedi. And kind of the exchange at the end is, uh, you know, she hands Luke back the uh, his father's lightsaber. He goes, hey, uh, this is kind of like you a know, family momentum, memento. Do, do you want it? And he goes, no, you keep it. You've earned it. You know, you, you, you killed Luke Skywalker. You should keep the lightsaber, you know? And I thought it was kind of a, a very unique uh, exchange. Um... And, and looking back, it's kind of a foreshadowing because Luke and Mara end up getting married and having a kid who becomes Force-sensitive as well, Ben Skywalker. Uh, so I just thought it was pretty... That, that whole exchange was, was pretty awesome. It was, like I said, the first EU material I read. So for me, it was kind of like Return of the Jedi all over again, you know? Um, I thought it was really great. So, uh, the, you know, first first novel trilogy I read that kind of continued on, I felt, uh, Star Wars. And in a way, it kind of gave me a glimpse as to what the Clone Wars could have been because that's really what Timothy Zahn did was he basically created 
the Clone Wars 2.0 in terms of the 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 war that was being fought between the New Republic and Thrawn's uh, empire. So, really awesome uh, interaction there. Uh, second on the list comes from the Legacy of the Force series. It's a nine-book series, and it kind of focuses on the twins, Jaina and Jason Solo, children of Han and Leia. In the series, uh, Jason Solo goes to the dark side, and he becomes a Sith Lord. Follows in his grandfather's footsteps, and his proving... His, uh, pr- his proving uh, um, theme is he has to sacrifice the thing, thing he mo- loves the most. Comes out to be his aunt, Mara Jade Skywalker. And so they have a battle, and he kills her, and that's his initiation to be a Sith Lord and become the Dark Lord of the Sith. Fast forward into the, uh, the last two books of the nine-book series. It becomes evident that the only person that can kill Jason... Or turn, turn him back to the light side as his twin sister, Jaina. And they do a battle royale. In the second to last book, they, the first meetup, kind of like in Empire Strikes Back, on the first meetup between Luke and Vader. And uh, Jason Solo loses an arm. That's how brutal the uh, the battle is. But then the, the second battle is even, is even more brutal. If you go on YouTube, you can actually see um, fan fiction, or a can't really, I guess I can't really call it fan fiction, but uh, fans go and reenact it and put it into like a, a short little movie clip on YouTube. So I definitely recommend going and checking it out. But uh, um, the the battle in the in the last book of this series is just amazing. And uh, let me put it this way: uh, um, it's second on my list for a reason. It's two twins battling it out, and in the end, it does not end the way that we all hope or think it will. In the end, Jaina kills her twin brother, Jason. Um, he refuses to back down. He refuses to uh, turn to the light side. He's kind of set in his ways of being a, a Sith Lord. And nothing's going to deter him. So they do battle. And um, Jaina kill, fatally wounds, ultimately killing her twin brother. Once again, he's down in his in her arms, breathing his last. And what he does is, when while he's dying, is not to uh, ask for forgiveness or anything like that, but it's to reach out in the force and kind of touch the mind of his ex girlfriend and let her know, hey, I'm, I this is it for me. I'm dying. I'm, I love you. The only thing I've ever wanted to do is protect you and our child, our daughter. And uh, that was that. was that. And then he died. And then uh, Jaina, at the end, felt, quote-unquote, her brother returned. So there was that moment where she felt Jason reemerge. Kind of going back to the whole Darth Vader versus Anakin Skywalker thing. Kind of what we saw in the last battle there between... Anakin and Obi-Wan in the Kenobi uh, TV series. Remember, you you hear uh, uh, Anakin say, or you hear Darth Vader say, Anakin is dead, I killed him. Kind of the same, kind of along the same lines, it's that uh, Jason Solo returns. Darth Cadus ceases to exist. Jason Solo returns. 
just enough time for him to be like, you know, sending a little uh, mental, uh, a little mental uh, message to uh, his ex-girlfriend saying, hey, everything I've done, I've done for you to make sure that you and our daughter are safe. I love you. Goodbye type of thing. And she felt Jason return in those brief moments before his death. Um, so I thought that was pretty amazing. Uh, it was a great story, I thought. Mainly because I kind of grew up watching those two grow up. They got they were born in the uh, Thrawn trilogy, which I mentioned earlier. And you see them again in Dark Empire. They make a comeback as infants. And they're kind of the, they're the next generation of Star Wars characters. And you get to see them. Um, and so it's great to see how they end that one of their stories. And then lastly... Last one on the list, number one on the list is K Quill Drama and Ulit Quill Drama Brothers. And this is from the Tales of the Jedi comic books. Ulit comes, turns to the dark side and becomes a Sith Lord. And in the uh, climactic end of the series of the story arc, they face off and Ulit kills his own brother. And the devastation of what he when he what he realizes he's done is so profound that he turns from the dark side and returns to the light side mourning that he killed his own brother um and uh as a result his ex-girlfriend comes in there and does like a very unique force power on him that strips him of the ability to use the force so he is basically deaf and blind to the force. And uh, it's a very emotional thing. It, it, just the battle itself is very emotional. But his struggles afterwards is also very emotional. Because there's another story arc that uh, focuses on his life after being stripped from the force. And basically coming and trying to redeem himself. And that's what the whole story arc is about is redemption. So um, I thought that was a pretty awesome uh, um story too. It was also the first comic book series that I read right around the time of uh, uh, the Thrawn trilogy and so that's probably why it sticks in there as well as like the, just that that emotional you know high that you get from such a uh, an interaction. Two brothers fighting and one of them, it, it kind of you know in a way it kind of goes back to Cain and Abel uh, from biblical mythology if you really want to go that route but uh, um, definitely uh, some fun nostalgia moments for me you know especially growing up as a kid in the uh, late 80s or, and 90s and coming to love Star Wars for all of these different reasons so uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Detsillion Geekdom and uh, hope you have a really good weekend I'll talk to you later <laughs>